This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. It's Animal Farm. Welcome to this episode of the Fertility Podcast, which I'm going to term as Animal Farm because Kate is <laughs> is coping with a giant fly as it's we record. It's a blue bottle. I hate blue bottles. They're big and loud at the moment. Mm. I'm in a very, my booth is very warm today. It's the day after a really hot day that we're chatting and everyone says it's going to thunder. Have you had any mm. rain yet? Not yet. It was supposed to happen overnight and nothing, but I think it's coming it this afternoon. It feels, doesn't it? it feels, mm. You know when the weather's going to turn when everyone starts talking about the weather? They talk yeah. about when it starts to get hot. Then we have a hot bit and people are just like melting in the heat and then when it's going to turn they're like it's going to turn it's going to turn it's going to thunder (laughs) we're so british we are so british we're very excited kate and i we've just been having a good old gossip and we've not got long to do um our little intro for you so we'll crack on because this is like nearly the end of the series and um we, we are having a break and i'm kind of saying that because we are having a break and i want you to just be sure that there's loads for you to listen to and not worry, because I've had some emails saying, oh, I was looking for such and such an episode and it's not on the feed. Because what we have done in 2021 is stripped the feed, started again, taking you through what we think is an overview of what your route to parenthood might look like. And we're very aware that we've not covered every single tiny way it might go. But what we have got is other conversations about it. So as we head to the end of the series, what you will find is that we're reminding you of other episodes, which are all on the fertilitypodcast.com website. Okay, because we're going to be talking this week about surrogacy. And I don't think you and I have spoken about surrogacy before, Kate, have we? Because I'd covered it before you joined me. Yes. On the podcast. uh, Our chat about surrogacy was the first one. Definitely. Yeah. And we spoke with a fascinating lady called Anna Buxton. And Anna has had three children through surrogacy in in very different ways, um, in in two different countries. And we really wanted to kind of give you that overview of surrogacy abroad, because we've talked in the past about surrogacy in the UK, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Anna's story was really compelling, wasn't it? There was a lot for her to take Mm -hmm. on. And it was a good few years ago, and there wasn't the support that we now know there is on Instagram. That's I think that's what resonated most with me, actually, is the fact that she felt so very very alone and almost the as she'll talk about almost that she was looking into and investigating something that was actually perceived as very underground and I think that was fascinating I think it's changing isn't it do you think it's changing now that there's more support there's less there's less stigma there's still a lot of um I think misunderstanding but that's why obviously we want to share this episode with you and then after Anna you're going to hear another chat about the support side of what there is for you so have a listen to Anna and we'll be back with you in a moment how are you Anna I'm very well, thank you. Well, it's really lovely to talk to you and to 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 get an idea of your experience because when you first reached out to me, I know that you felt that there wasn't you couldn't find people like you that you wanted that you could talk to and and share experiences with and and I've had some experience of working with Surrogacy UK and I know about their kind of um their community and so I'm just interested in in what happened and and where you kind of found your community and ultimately your family. So tell us a bit about, you know, what led you to decide to go down the surrogacy route. Sure. So um so I have three children, Isla who's five, and girl boy twins who are two and a half, Olive and Art, and they were all born with the help of a surrogate. 
we came to the decision that we would need to use a surrogate after like lots of women, a really long and painful gynecological history. Um, and when a doctor turned around to me and said, Anna, you'll never carry a pregnancy. Surrogacy is your only hope. Um, we started looking at all our options. And although it was the next natural step for us because we were able to create embryos, it still was a really difficult decision. It feels like you are giving up on that hope of ever carrying a child, um, my husband ever seeing me pregnant. It just, you feel totally lost. And it's a sort of ripple effect whereby you you think that you're going to get pregnant and think you're going to have a child and then suddenly you realize that's not going to happen as you thought and what you need to do is find support and find people who have been there and when it came to surrogacy it was really hard because I just couldn't find anyone. When we started looking at our options um, we first went to the UK and there are some great charities and agencies in, in the UK um, but all of them had really long waiting lists um, at the time we were looking and having had already spent nearly five years trying to get pregnant we just couldn't we couldn't deal with the fact that it could potentially take us another three years to find a surrogate so that's when we started looking abroad um, and we looked at um, India and the US because those at the time were the two most established places where, where surrogacy um, was happening. Um, and I desperately wanted to talk to other couples um, and really found it very difficult to. At the time, the sort of Instagram community wasn't around. I now look at the whole TTC community on Instagram and just wish it had been around mm. when, when we were going through it. Um, Absolutely. It wasn't. So I found a few couples who, and, and spoke to a few people, but it was really just sort of, you know, looking on Google and just trying to do as much research as we could ourselves. But it, it felt like this strange, unknown, slightly sort of underground thing that we were contemplating um, and that made it really difficult. I was really interested in what you were saying there about having to grieve the loss of what you thought your life was going to be and then then have to turn it around to then really the reality of actually what you were faced with. How did you kind of find and where did you go to find that support to, to change that narrative in your mind? I think, to be honest, that narrative is something that has come now that I've had my children, I think at the time when we were doing all of this, I I, I really struggled to see beyond um, sort of what what I had lost initially, and it and as I said, it just felt like I was giving up. Um, now I I think about surrogacy, and I talk to other couples, and. And I realized that surrogacy for us was the light at the end of a tunnel, an awful, painful tunnel. And, and it gave us and we're just so thankful now that surrogacy is possible. And there are these incredible women in the world who who want to be surrogates. Um, I guess the one thing that sort of got me through is that surrogacy is a very complicated process, emotionally and medically and financially. And so I think I sort of buried myself in the 
complexities of the process and the logistics just to to kind of get through that which if I'm honest I don't think was the, the healthiest way to to do it um and there are now so many more people out there talking about surrogacy and talking about their journeys and organizations that um that is fantastic and I think that is is what's needed so I always I'm really open about it and loads of other women are and lots of same-sex couples too I just think um if this is something you're going through whether it's Google or friend of friend or Instagram, find people who've done it and talk to them because people are always so happy to share their stories and hearing successes um, is, I think, just is so powerful. So let's just talk about the kind of time frame and also whether you decided, you said you were looking at India or America, where you actually decided to go and and, and work with the surrogates. Um, we, we've talked on the podcast before about, about the legalities and uh, the whole paperwork aspect and, and the issues around uh, surrogacy law, which we, we, we'll, we'll come to with you because there's been, there's been changes. Where did you then go? For Isla, we went to India. At the time we were looking, the US was just too expensive for us. And we felt that India was the only other place where there had been a long history of surrogacy. But having said that, at the time, surrogacy in India was shrouded with a lot of Brad press. Um, yeah. And however desperate we were to have a family, Ed and I, my husband, you know, said to each other, that will never come at the cost of another woman's well-being. We just, you know, that there is there's a line that you do not cross. Um, so we went to India, we visited 10 clinics three cities um, and we found a doctor and a, a charity that we loved and were doing surrogacy in a very different way in India and it was a really lovely program centered around the wellness and the well-being of, of the surrogates so um, so that's what we did um, so we started we started the sort of IVF process in the UK and then when I was ready we flew out to India to have my eggs collected and our embryos created um and then and then we would found a surrogate and that whole process I mean when you talk about the support network around you and you were working with the clinic in India was there a community that you could talk about that shared experience with at that point there wasn't. Um, I found one couple who had who had uh, done surrogacy in India before, and um, they were lovely and and spoke to us about it. But it was was only one person. I think we really did do it do it by ourselves, which was difficult because you again it just feels like such a strange thing to be flying to the other side of the world to try and conceive a child. It it all felt felt very alien at the time I bet it did it must have felt so isolating (laughs) and I'm just really intrigued to kind of understand a little bit more about as you decided to go to India what were the main difficulties that you had to overcome because I'm sure there must have been lots of them given the fact that you're in a different country and what were your main concerns as well about seeking surrogacy out of the UK without a doubt surrogacy abroad is really complicated and the um the legal side is very complicated so we um you the first step is to always find find someone a lawyer who's really experienced um and and that is is what we did I think in terms of the pregnancy itself um it was 
it, it was really difficult. And I, I always, because not many people were talking about surrogacy at the, at the time, I didn't really talk to many people. I don't think I told, aside from very close family and friends, that we were pregnant till we were about 24 weeks. Um, because I just, number one, I think I felt it, thought it was, it felt hard to actually kind of realize that we were pregnant. But also, I just worried that people would think that I was, um, I don't know, undeserving of being pregnant because I wasn't carrying the child myself. I felt really conspicuous by not having a bump. Um, I remember sort of skulking around John Lewis once looking at prams, terrified that someone would say, well, what are you doing here? Um, it just, it, as you said, I think isolating is is probably the, you know, the word for it. Um, what you've just said then, Anna, as just both, because Natalie and I are always looking at each other on WhatsApp video, and we've just looked at each other and our eyes went wide because we have literally had a similar conversation with another podcast guest who's going through adoption, and she did exactly okay. the same. She went into a retailer looking at prams and she felt as though she shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a horrible, it's a horrible feeling. Um, well, in that case, it was not a fictional mum we were talking to, and she was actually asked by the shop assistant who she was buying the the buggy for. Buggy for, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was asked the same thing. What did you say? I sort of mumbled about, oh, it's all very complicated. I'm just looking, and I walked off. I just wasn't ready to tell a stranger, you know, go into the complexities of it. And you never know if someone's going to say, oh, amazing, great, congratulations, or they're going to ask, start asking complicated questions. So I just, um, I walked away and, and ordered everything online. So that whole the narrative and it is similar to the conversation that we were having about adoption as a society we have so much to learn about how to have these conversations and not to assume anything about the people that yeah. we're having these conversations with and you said you didn't really tell any of your family or friends what did you say we told close family and friends because we'd already up to that point we'd already been on such a sort of long journey to even get to the point of surrogacy and all our family and close friends were really supportive I just wasn't ready to go into it with people I didn't know that well I didn't even tell my work um at the time and I think that's a whole other subject about sort of you, it's very difficult to tell work when you're going through IVF because you feel that they might sort of, you know, if it doesn't work, then does that does that impact your job? Um, and with surrogacy, I just, I, I was the first person in our organization who I had ever done it. Um, and I just didn't feel that I would, um, I thought I'd be in a worse position if I told them and if anything went wrong. Um, but people that we did tell were so lovely and so supportive and so happy for us. So um, when I did speak out, it was always a really lovely conversation. And, and in some ways, I wish I had said a bit more. When did you decide to tell work? I told them at, it was about 24 weeks. It was, it was late, but they had no policy 
for anyone um, doing surrogacy. So, so I, yeah, I waited that long. That is a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. You'll know on the podcast and with the Fertility Matters at Work initiative, we're on a mission to change that conversation. And, and yeah. I'd definitely love to talk more with you about how that all can look. For now, I want to focus on how you're planning to tell your children their story, whether you've already started. How, so how old are your children? Um, so Isla is five and the twins are two and a half. Okay, because we so, know that there's amazing books and we know the importance of, of telling children their story when they they have come from all the wonderful modern roots that yeah. uh, children can now come from. So how, how is that going? It's great. We, we've talked about um, how the children were brought into this world before they could even understand. With Isla, um, we, her nursery at home here has pictures and memorabilia of India all, oh, all around. Um, we always talk to her about the fact that mummy's tummy is broken and that another mummy helped us to grow her. And children are so amazing and so pragmatic. She just sort of says, yes, great. Um, we, you know, just this past weekend, it was Diwali. We had a little Diwali party for her. So we do so many things just to talk about um to sort of normalize it for her so that she just thinks it's just you know that's how it how she happened to be brought into the world um and then we do lots of things to to sort of celebrate it and to always remember to say thank you to Shapala who is her surrogate um and thank you know India that, that we were able to do it and likewise with the twins um we talk to them all the time about Holly, their surrogate. Um, there's lots of pictures of San Diego in their nursery. Um, and we are in contact with her, um, with the twins' surrogate. Um, so we send her lots of pictures and she sends us pictures of her and her family. So um, for us, it's just, you know, it's just sort of everyday conversation. Um and, you know, it's funny, I, Isla was asking me today what I was doing and I was saying that I was talking to you about how she was being brought into the world. And she said, oh, you're telling people about me being a miracle again, mummy. Oh, oh, that's lovely. So yeah, we do, that's lovely. And I think that's what she should think of herself as. So, yeah. is, is the relationship, do you have a relationship with Isla's surrogate from India? We don't. Or is that more um, difficult? Mm. It is more difficult. Number one, she, she doesn't speak English. Um, and also culturally, um, we asked if she'd like to main, maintain contact um, and she said no. I do, on her birthday every day, year, I do send a letter to the clinic um, and I write a le- I've written a letter every year to her children. She has two children who now are about 14 and 12 um, and I just send a little message with a picture of Isla saying that this is what your mummy did. She's an she's an angel. She's a miracle, and and thank you. I don't oh. know if it if it gets to them or yeah. she wants to share it, but it's there if she wants to. Yeah, and it must feel um, lovely for you as well to to do that. Even if there's a chance that she might not be getting it, you know that you've sent it, you've written, you've taken the time to write those lovely words and send that yeah. lovely photo of Isla. Yeah, I can imagine exactly. it must feel yeah. really lovely to do that. Yeah. Anna, what advice would you give to people knowing what you know now, considering the route that you went out of the UK and to, to two different countries for your family? 
because we obviously want people to feel that you know they can look further afield than the UK as much as we encourage you know to for people to to stay in the UK as well and I know that you work with with two dads and you know they fly the flag for encouraging encouraging people to stay in, in the UK especially um same sex couples just from your personal experience what what advice would you pass on I would say to people that surrogacy is an unbelievable sacrifice and gift for a woman. And that comes with unbelievable emotional and medical and financial complexities. It is a really hard and complex process. That's not to say it's not possible, but what you need to do as intended parents is to make sure that you are educated on every single step of the process and that your surrogate, whether she's at home or abroad, has the time and the resources and the space to make sure she's educated on all those parts of it. And when everyone is, surrogacy can be the most wonderful experience for both intended parents and a surrogate. But you can't go into it blind. You have to know what you don't know. You have to know the questions to ask of each other. You both have to know your expectations. So it's about having all that information. And and there are so many people... Um, who have done this before. There are lots of really good organizations and there are lots of you know, really good clinics and agencies and, and lawyers. Um, you have to just find professionals who are really experienced in surrogacy to support you. And the, I guess from the the other thing from my side was that, as I said, I felt conspicuous by not carrying my child. I always thought people would be, think I was less deserving. And it really, it really sort of, had an impact on my pregnancies because I just didn't sort of enjoy them and now that the children are five and two and a half you know I know that I'm no less of a mother because I didn't carry them I'm there every day for them you know I make mistakes every day probably but I still do do my best and and I'm just as much as mum and I wish I'd sort of owned it a bit more and just um enjoyed enjoyed the pregnancies well, we'll put links to some other conversations that people can listen to. But I think that's such sound advice. And I'm sorry that you didn't, like you say, own it. But um, I think, like you say, passing it on to, I think it's such an unknown, isn't it? That it's so hard to be as present as you really want to be during it. Because there's so many things that you are worried about, aren't there? Yeah. I guess yeah. the one thing I do do remember is that, and I do know lots of women do say this, is that if you have had experience of your body sort of seeming like it's always failing you. The one thing with surrogacy is that once you have created those embryos, whether it's your own or, or with a donor, that, and they are transferred to a surrogate, there is this amazing sense of relief yeah. um, because it's no longer your body that you're relying on and you, it's the body of someone who's already had their children and loves being pregnant um, and is excited to help you. And there is a sort of strange sense of relief which is a really lovely part of it I just love the way that she highlighted how she shares her children's stories with them explaining about their surrogates especially when she talked about the surrogate in India how they're not able to have contact but yeah. yet she still writes to her and whether that gets through and I loved how you were saying I'm sure that helps you 
Yeah. You've got to kind of do what's right for you as well in all of this, as well as what's right for everybody else, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. And like you say, it's lovely that both with both children, both Isla from India and the two twins in with Isla, she's got lovely pictures of India to show her where, you know, her, her surrogate. And um, celebrating the cultural aspect and obviously yeah. doing all they can to. Yeah to bring it to life in their household. We're going to speak next to Mike Ellis, who is one half of Two Dads UK. And Mike and his partner, Wes, have featured on the podcast before, and that link will be in the show notes. Hearing all about two gay men, they found their way through surrogacy and the trials and tribulations of it. And in this chat with Mike, I wanted to talk about their new venture, which is called My Surrogacy Journey, and also the Modern Family Show that they're putting on, which is coming up. You'll hear more details about it. So have a listen to Mike and we'll, we'll be back with you after. I'm delighted to welcome back to the Fertility Podcast, Mike Ellis, one half of Two Dads UK. I will be sharing my previous chat with Mike and Wes, where you can learn all about their story um, in the show notes because um, Wes isn't here. Do you want to let us know where Wes is? He's busy, isn't he? Yeah. So Wes is, we had a last minute call from to go to London. So we're, as you might know, we've got the Modern Family Show taking place on the 18th of September. And um, the venue wanted to talk to him about some exhibition issues that we're having. So he's had to dart to London. I'm here with the kids and now talking to you. How do you feel about the idea of this event? We're going to talk about how it's come to be in a moment. but um... Yeah, I think... I am apprehensive um, and I think rightly so, you know, it's been a bonkers year, um, but I think it's ready now. I feel confident in where we're at from a vaccination point of view. Um, I, yeah, I think it's time now and the interest is is certainly building from both exhibitors and, and ticket holders. So let's, let's hope so. And whilst we've all been on hold because of the pandemic, our baby making family plans haven't been on hold. They've just been put on hold. And so now more than ever, we're so desperate. So, well, desperate's not the right word. We're so keen. We're so keen to to get on with it. So let's talk a bit about what you've been up to. Mike and Wes are like a power couple. And I've worked with Mike on a campaign that we did with Ferring, um, talking about fertility orcs, where we both did a bit of stand-up comedy, didn't we? I mean, that seems like an age. That was the last time I probably saw you in person. It was. It was. It actually was. Can you believe that? Wow. Who'd have thought? And we we kind of did this brilliant series. Again, I'll put links in the show notes because uh, it was a brilliant idea to convey the awkwardness of conversations we all have to go through with our different um, the different issues that we've had around our family building. Um, and yeah, I just go and watch those videos because they were great. But since we last spoke, um, and I've been like tapping away keeping tabs on on what you've been doing. Mike and Wes have launched My Surrogacy Journey, which is helping gay couples navigate their way through UK surrogacy. I hope I've I've interpreted it in, in the right way. Um, I know that's not your official strap line, but just talk about where you start with this, because this is from your own experience and people will be able to hear more about that. Tell me about what you've created. So thank you, by the way. Um, and we, yeah, you're absolutely right. We wanted to create a nonprofit organization that was not only for gay men, but was for heterosexual people as well. Um, whereas Two Dads UK has historically supported intended fathers, whereas we we really felt that what was really lacking is an organisation that supported um, people on a surrogacy journey completely different to how it's currently working. So, for example, surrogacy in the UK, as we all know, completely legal 
completely altruistic. Um, but the platform of how people have been supported hasn't changed for the last 10 years. Um, the same organizations still exist and they do an, a tremendous job. But we wanted to change the landscape a little bit and get a bit creative with how people are supported. So all of the things that we have learned along our journey to have our two children through surrogacy and all of the fabulous people that we've we've networked with or we've met or we've worked with, we wanted to bring together a membership for intended parents where they could um, purchase a two-year membership to get full support, legal help, um, clinic advice, clinical advice. They all, every member of ours will receive a full clinical consultation. They will have up to 10 hours worth of emotional support and beaker counseling um, all the way through to birth and beyond with doula support and uh, their own e-midwife and their own dietitian. And we created something that we wish we would have had. And that was to have a full concierge service and treatment from trying to conceive all the way through to um, having your child and creating your family. And, and my surrogacy journey is essentially both UK, US and Canadian um, surrogacy support. And we've built and crafted something which has been three years worth of work. Um, but thankfully, um, it seems to be being well received from intended parents and surrogates and known egg donors because they're, they're the three types of members that we attract. Okay, because the number of steps that there are when you set out, could you believe how many steps and hurdles there were to, to work your way and navigate your way through? Oh my goodness, no. And Wes has a, a saying and that he would say now if he was here and, and and that is, you know, you don't know what you don't know with yeah. Surti. So you're finding your way through the dark, you know, you tend to rely on, you know, Facebook groups a lot for support and advice and that is brilliant, but it's it's very much opinion based and it's not necessarily always factual. So we wanted to remove the myth and you know, we we have a, an incredible team of clinicians that that help us back up what we say we do um, with either science or you know or clinical fact. Um, so we were completely in the dark when we we started our journey and and just didn't have a clue what we were doing. And we we did an independent journey with no support. And looking back, it was probably the best thing that we ever did because um, it meant that we could meet new people and forge these new relationships to to build what we've now built. And I want to just focus a bit on your experience because both of you were biologically linked to your children and that process of going through tests, because we've obviously talked about tests that a heterosexual couple might go through, but I just want to talk a bit about the tests and what that can reveal, because it's not just a given that everything's going to be okay, is it? And I think that's just something that people do need to think about with this. Absolutely. And as we've well know from working with Fering, um, you know, fertility and infertility does not discriminate. Um, so there is um, an arrogance within the gay male community that they're fertile um, because you stupidly sometimes think that infertility isn't going to impact you because um, you're a gay man. And why, why would it? Weirdly, you know, Why would you think that? But we've worked and supported men that have gone to the clinic to get their semen analysis and been completely infertile. And we've worked with a couple, um, two guys, and both of them were completely infertile. 
infertile. And that was due to, you know, years of, uh, of abuse of anabolic steroids. And that was, you know, going, you know, going to the gym and not having a great lifestyle, partying too hard, you know, all of the things that lots of people have done, but you just don't think it's going to happen to you. And I think intended fathers in particular felt immune to infertility and you know sperm health is something that we take really seriously with my surrogacy journey every single member straight or gay will have um a home sperm test and exceed kit that they will um have as part of the membership and that is why getting fit for fertility is for us um one of the main parts of what we're all about that's brilliant that you're working with exceed we've talked with them before about their kit so we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well and i think that awareness piece is so important and i love how we talk about infertility not discriminating because we all assume it doesn't happen to us we have that naivety about it also that awareness piece about protein shakes and the steroids i think again there's still a lot of work to be done so that's brilliant that that's part of what's going on with you now in our last chat and as i say do listen to it because we'll put it in the show notes there was the whole conversation about the car park and you've done amazing work lobbying government about the legalities around surrogacy. That legal support is really important to have from the outset. And I know you pride yourself in, in offering that too, don't you? Yeah, we do. And and I think, you know, and there are organisations that, that don't or have a different opinion to, to ours. But what, you know, we we feel that when you are embarking on this type of journey, you should be legally as informed by an expert as you can. You know, if if I want to learn how to drive a car, I will go to a driving instructor. If I want to, you know, learn how to fly a plane, I'll go to a pilot. I am not gonna um take advice from someone who isn't qualified if I want to learn about something which is probably the most important chapter in my life. So getting getting some solid advice. So all of our members uh, surrogates, non-egg donors, and intended parents will all have um, two to three legal consultations included in their membership. And we feel that's really important that they understand straight from the horse's mouth what the current situation is with surrogacy in the UK. And they can choose their own law firm. You know, we've 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 got a, a plethora, we've got seven of them that are in the directory and they can choose whomever they want to choose. So it's it's not like we're incentivized or rewarded for choosing what law firm they do. We're 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 not we don't work in that sense. What we've done is that we have handpicked seven of who we feel are the best firms that have the best experience that can support you. What would you say is the most significant thing that you've learned and that you wish you knew then that you know now? Um, I think the biggest thing for us that we learned was we were very naive. And when we started our initial journey, we didn't fertilize all of our embryos all of our eggs in one go. So we took it on trust that after the clinic told us that our egg donor would come back and redonate her eggs again for a sibling, that that was a given. And we, we kind of trusted that that was going to happen. And not knowing what we know, what we should have done was, was create embryos with both of our genetic material right from the get-go when we didn't. So when when the clinic came and couldn't contact our first donor that we created, Tallulah, um, she had been poorly and couldn't redonate, and therefore we had to find another donor. So what that meant for us is that we we had a genetic 
we, we lost the genetic connection for our family and that was taken away from us. That wasn't our fault necessarily. And, and it, it, is, it is what it is. But we really learned in a different way how to support people that are grieving genetic loss or can understand what that means. And what, you know, what I, what I feel for Duke versus what I feel for Tallulah is no different. And I think all that this whole experience has taught us is surrogacy is something that you really take your time with. And we kind of felt pressured in those early days to one, accept a donor and two, to make life-changing huge decisions very very quickly and most clinics will give you a week to make a decision on a donor that's been matched to you and that's not cool you know a a heck of a weight on your shoulders to to make that call and what we like to say to people is you know take your time this is your journey you own this and if you need more time or you need more, more more room to to wriggle then you know you need to shout up because this is this is a huge a huge milestone in your life and obviously what you've created is giving that support from a kind of community aspect we talk about on the podcast a lot about the emotional toll all of this takes I don't think I asked you about that last time what kind of support you had I mean I think it's something that sometimes time is the healer but it also helps us realize how hard that process was for us to get through totally and you know what natalie and i think i said this a few times but never to never you and i we we had implications counseling and and that's all we had for both of our children and um i think i was massively underprepared um after the birth of duke i was the sole carer wes went straight back to work um i wasn't biologically linked to him I thought everything was going to be fine. Um, and I never spoke to anybody about how I felt. And I, my mental health spiraled very, very quickly. And after about six weeks, I remember going to my doctor and, and feeling really poorly and feeling all sorts of confusion and, and disconnection. And I like to, you know, I think not having a genetic link isn't important but I was overcompensating as a non-biological parent that it was to the detriment of my own mental health, Tallulah, my marriage. And I remember Wes and I having this conversation and Duke was 12 weeks old and Wes and I had the chat of what do we do? Do we continue with our marriage or do we do we call this a day because I can't continue? He, we were just not talking about how we were feeling. And I wish someone would have sat me down and said, you know, this is a really tough journey. You know, what you're going to go through is super, super challenging and you need support. You need to talk about these elements individually and you need to talk about this as a couple because your children need you as a solid unit. And if you don't give your marriage love and attention and time, then this is going to come falling down. And no one ever said that to us. And I really wished that I'd have had that support and my marriage would have had that support because we had a miserable six months. Um, So that was something that I I think we, we don't often give ourselves. We're far too focused on, on, on treatment or the outcome, which is understandable. But I think as humans, we need some self care and we need to search for that. Thank you for saying that, because I think the impact it has on our relationships is hugely significant and so not talked about and addressed enough. And I know in my own 
relationship there's been things over time that have had different implications and have had to be processed and it doesn't necessarily just stop so I think that's amazing that you've you know asked for help because the asking for help is part of the problem it's the hardest thing to do as well isn't it massively and you know as a man which which is is a real knobbish thing to say but I was like no I've you know I of course I can't go and tell my doctor I'm depressed of course you know I've, I've, I've got everything I've ever wanted what's wrong with me why am I being so you know hard on myself and, and miserable and, and, and an awful person to live with um but I was getting to the point where I I, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it anymore I, I, I wanted to just stay in bed and not be with any of my children and not be around my husband it was an, a, a really unpleasant time but was quick fixed very very easily once I started to talk about it so we'll put all the details of my surrogacy journey and Mike and Wares with Two Dads UK on the show notes. And you have to go and look at his Insta because Tallulah and Duke feature pretty prominently. I mean, they're kind of stars of the account, to be fair, aren't they? It's all about them. It's, it's, all, about it's, them. it's all about them. It always is, these little humans, this impact they have on all of that. <laughs> so we're talking ahead of the show. So best of luck for it. Is it just one day? It's just one day. Yes, it's Saturday the 18th. September to take your place in London and number eight Northumberland. Very nice. Best of luck. I mean, I think it's just amazing to have launched what you've launched and a show as well. And it's going to, I'm sure, be continuing on. And there's loads that Mike and Wes are doing. So like I say, go and check them out on their different channels and you're podcasting and you're doing videos. And I'm actually looking at Mike with his fancy schmancy podcast kit. And I remember the days when we were having a chat about getting set up. So it's always lovely to see. I owe this all to you. (laughs) always been in order. Like, go on get yeah. on with it go Indeed. and do it. it and you told me what to buy and I listened <laughs> and it looks cool lovely to chat Mike as always and you take care you too take care now I'm friends with Mike and I was a little taken aback when he confessed about the mental health issues that he'd had because he always comes across as so confident and that's not to say that you can't be confident and have mental health issues Mm. but I was in awe of him just sharing it and being so open with it. I suppose it's becoming more common that we're talking about these things and it's always well I just always commend people for just saying yeah this is what went on and I really had to take stock and address what was happening to me. Yeah I don't know about you but I definitely find that both in my professional and my personal life I'm having a lot more discussions about mental health than I've ever had before. I think people are definitely talking about it and not frightened to actually bring up the subject, which is just brilliant, isn't it, that we've got to that point in life. Exactly, that it's just one of those things. And I was with a friend yesterday, we were having conversations about it with other fa- about family members that we knew had, had, had struggled. And, and we kind of had a similar chat that it is just part of how we talk about things now, brilliantly, that we can. And hopefully it will only improve in terms of people then taking that next step to get support, which, as you heard, Mike said he did so do check out the show notes because the links to our previous chat with him and and the show I mean and the fact it can happen you know with everything that has been prevented from happening very excited so that's the 18th the modern family show and I must just mention here that the uh, fertility show summit is happening from the 24th of September and I'm going to be hosting a couple of days so again I'll put the link to that in in the show notes because I've got a little code for you to get your tickets one last thing of course we have another bit of uh, wisdom from our expert James Nicopolis here you go ask the expert 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 right this one is about endometriosis um they would like to understand if they have a diagnosis of endometriosis how this might tra- change the IVF drug protocol and is there anything else that can be done to support trying to conceive naturally 
or pre-IVF if you have an endometriosis diagnosis? Okay, so there's kind of lots of aspects to this question, really. I think pre-IVF, clearly, you know, if you've had endometriosis diagnosed, you may or may not have also had your tubes tested at the same time. So if your tubes are blocked by virtue of any scarring of endometriosis, then you need IVF anyway, realistically. If the tubes are patent with endometriosis and you're ovulating, having endometriosis ablated or treated, there's a, if it's mild to moderate, there's a little bit of evidence that that can improve chances of getting pregnant naturally over the next six to 12 months. So having it treated um, surgically, if it's mild, um, there's a little bit of evidence of benefit. Once you've got to the point where you need IVF, there is no good evidence that treating endometriosis surgically improves IVF outcome. So the only reason to have sort of surgical treatment for endometriosis if you're having IVF is because the symptoms, you know, you're struggling with the symptoms and you need to improve those. Equally, if you've got a, a cyst and endometrioma from endometriosis, again, no real evidence that removing a small endometrioma improves outcome potentially actually removing that may also remove some normal ovary with it which could impact on your response so again unless you've got significant symptoms or the ovaries aren't accessible probably not sensible to remove those um, within IVF itself there was a little bit of data a while ago that suggested women with endometriosis may have a slower success rate compared to you know controls of the same age with blocked tubes if you look at the big national databases HFEA the SART in America that hasn't really been shown more recently. So in the past, there was um, a study and some evidence that if you suppress endometriosis for a little while before you start IVF, you may improve the outcome. But that suppression is two or three months of nasal spray or injectable that switches off your own hormones and can make women feel pretty grotty. And at the same time, you're three or four months older. So actually it's not something that tends to be done. So you know, routinely now an endometriosis protocol is usually very similar to any other protocol. Ask the expert. 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 As we head towards the end of our series, please make sure that you keep in touch. So you can follow me at Fertility Potty on my socials. And me at Your Fertility Journey. And if you'd like to leave us a review and tell us how much you've enjoyed the series, then that would be great too. There's all links on our socials or you can just go to Apple uh, or Spotify and leave a review. And we've got a couple more. We're going to the end of September. So you can still come and join us. We're still here on our Brew at Two on a Thursday on Instagram. But thank you as always for your support. And until the next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.